The Word is for everyone. It's alive and active, filled with wisdom, truth, and hope. Understanding and interpreting its pages can seem overwhelming, but this podcast is here to help. This is Unschooled and Ordinary. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Unschooled and Ordinary podcast. It's so good to be with you today. And if you're tuning in for the first time, um, just a little background on the name Unschooled and Ordinary. That comes out of Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where it says that um, the people who heard some of Jesus' disciples talking, they they said, it, it seems like these guys are unschooled and ordinary, but they have been with Jesus. And the the truth of that is we we don't have to go to seminary, not that that's bad or wrong or anything like that, but God wants to use you and use your story and use your testimony to lead people to know, love, and follow Jesus. So that's why we're here with the podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Tyler, and I'm here with Angie Gates and Ben Wade, and Brandy's out on jury duty. Jury duty. We miss you, Brandy. We do miss you, Brandy. We tried to get Whit to sit in, but he wouldn't. Her lovely husband. <laughs> so um, we are covering a whole chapter today. So I figured it's probably best that we go ahead and jump in. What do y'all think about that? A lot to cover. There's a lot to cover, yeah. Yeah. So we've we've been in this series called Hide It or Heal It. And we're talking about um, mental health, emotional health, so on and so forth. And we see a really good model of this, and and we look at a prophet who was depressed, and we see some choices that he made that just made his depression worse, and then we see how God came to him and brought healing in his life. So looking forward to a good conversation, and hopefully there will be some things that we can all learn from it. So Ben, I know that you're Mr. Commentary, and Brandy is our official reader but since she's out today. I'll do my best. No so. pressure, but she's really good at reading. <laughs> she is a good reader. <laughs> Shout out to Craig. <laughs> All right. First uh, Kings chapter 19. How far do you want me to go? Uh, let's go through verse 5a. Okay. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All right, so much to unpack there. But to get us started, let's go back and talk about some events that happened right before this. Elijah uh, and in the, the land of Israel had been under a severe famine. And um, Elijah was praying for his God to send rain. And then there was also the prophets of Baal asking and praying to their God to send rain. Elijah prays, God sends rain, begins to heal the land, um, has this 
unbelievable experience with God defeats the enemies. And now here we are, just one chapter over. So like within the week, like just a few days, maybe even 24 hours later, um, Jezebel, who is the queen of that time, says that she is going to kill Elijah. So Elijah runs for his life. And that's kind of where we picked up. And that's part of what Ben just read. So with that being the backdrop, what are some things that stand out to you guys as we look at these few verses? Well, I think for me, just Elijah's state of mind, knowing that he, like you said, just came from like one of the highest of highs in his experience with God, seeing God work and move in miraculous ways. You would kind of think he would have all this like confidence moving forward, but we kind of see the exact opposite that when fear comes into the picture and he is threatened, he, he's afraid and he runs for his life. Um, the part that stood out to me in that little section was he left his servant there and he went a day's journey into the wilderness. So I kind of can see where that's bad decision number one on his part, because mm-hmm. we need people in our lives. And when you're already afraid and you're, you're, you're scared, but if you're mentally exhausted, physically exhausted, and then you isolate yourself from anybody that could be a voice of reason, it only leads over a matter of time to a place where it's, it, you see Elijah. I mean, he's ready to die. He's, he's feels like he is done. He said, um, um, you know, basically I'm tired of this. Just take me now, Lord. I'm done with it. So um, that would be the first thing I think that stood out to me was the isolation part of leaving people that are good for you, where you're safe, you're secure, and you have good spiritual advice being spoken into you. Like stick with that. Right. Isolation's hardly ever a good idea. Right. Yeah. And in, in looking at the point, the part where it said he was afraid, you know, I think with situational anxiety and depression, it stems from a worry, which, you know, is coming from a fear. And instead of dealing with it, we avoid it. And this is what Elijah does. He's afraid, and so he avoids, and he runs, and he isolates. And isn't that what we do in seasons of depression? We avoid the things we're afraid of, and we, we isolate ourselves, and we don't see how we are going to get out of this and get healing from it. And so it just repeats this cycle. It's this vicious cycle that we get stuck in. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I just put a check mark by all of the things that you guys said um, that stood out to you all in that. I, I circled and underlined that Elijah was afraid um, and ran for his life. And I, you highlighted the isolation piece, Angie. And so, like, in my mind, thinking through this and, and um, some of the lens of personal experience or uh, how how I can relate to that and like I, the humanity of Elijah, I have to believe that um, as he's running, that fear's growing. You know, like he's removed, like you said, a, a voice from his life when he left his servant. He's removed some perspective. He's removed the power of encouragement from community, um, and he's running further and further away. And something that I thought about too was like he. I I wonder if like shame is also building and growing for him the further he runs away from it, right? And then 
Um, yeah, because he has seen what God has done. He just lived like he just walked through it. Right. And so now he's like, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be this person, but... And the more he runs, the more ashamed he becomes of running. Right. You know, right. Um, I think that's just, that's a pattern or a cycle I know that I've experienced. And so we don't, it doesn't speak to that directly in, in scripture, but I can just put myself in that. Right position of like, golly, the the more I've run from this, the more I've become ashamed that I'm running from it. So now I'm dealing with the fear and the shame, right? In isolation, right? And in isolation, and then comes the comparison because yeah. he he says I'm no better than my ancestors. So, like thinking back, I mean, he's done so much good for God, but he's in this state of mind now where clearly he thinks I'm no better than anybody else, and I feel alone. Like he'll say that later on in this yeah. chapter. I'm, yeah. There's, it's just me left. I'm here alone. So just comparing yourself to other people in a low state of mind like that is not going to help mm-hmm. you come out of it. Right. Yeah. And I think, too, like the, the trigger sometimes is different. The whatever the trigger in this case, it was the message from Jezebel that was the trigger of fear that I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he had just shown courage and boldness right. the previous chapter. And so sometimes the trigger is a little bit, can can be different too. And and then like, I think you might have touched on it, Angie, just a, a state of depletion or tired or where, whatever different factors at play um, that I think could lead him to a place of where he's like, oh, Lord, I'm done. Take my life. Yeah. And to hit on the fact that he was tired, like just, chapters before, he has experienced unbelievable victories, but he was exhausted. And he wakes up and he runs just to further wear himself out. And I think very rarely have I ever made a good decision when I was tired. Mm. I'm typically more grouchy. Um, I'm more cynical. I'm more angry. I'm not the most loving person I can be when I'm tired. Byron Malone says all the time, Some, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go take a nap because mm. we, we don't make good decisions when we're tired. That's a good word. You know, as we as we look at this story, and I, I think about examples in my own life, I'm like, man, I, this following this model from Elijah makes a lot of sense because I've seen myself do the exact things that we're reading about him. Mm. So Ben, with that, would you pick up second part of verse five and read through verse nine? Yep. So all, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? To to back up just for a second, we didn't talk a whole lot about Elijah wanting to die. You know, if if you ever have a thought, like, maybe maybe they would be fine without me here. 
you know, even if, even if you're not like serious about doing self harm, but if you've got that thought, you probably want to let that be a smoke signal for you and say, okay, what is what is out of, out of balance in my life? Because that's a lie that people, family, friends are going to be better without you. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So so just pay attention to that if you've ever had that feeling. And but to have the courage to like speak with someone right, about yeah, it. Right. And like you said, Tyler, a lie that requires us to take captive that lie. Mm-hmm. And Scripture says to make it obedient to the truth and the thoughts of Christ. Right. Yeah. Take all thoughts captive. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting where um, it says that he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights. I read that this was about a an 11-mile journey for him. Um, and there's no reason it should have took that long, 40 days and 40 nights, for him to travel that. Because he had just ran how many miles? 15. 15 in like a very short amount of time. But isn't isn't this what anxiety and depression does to us? Like it wears us out mentally and emotionally and physically. And um I, I think that's represented in these forty days and forty nights where where he lacked faith and and the author here is pointing back to when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for forty years in the same geographical location. When we when we don't trust God, when we don't follow him, when we live in fear, a spirit that he did not give us, we're gonna be prone to wonder. And I think it's interesting that when the angel came to him, it was those small physical things that he said start with. Yes. Like get up and just eat. Like let's just start there. Let's strengthen your body. And get the rest that you need because he clearly says the journey's too much for you. I mean, right. we're never promised it's going to be an easy journey, and any kind of suffering or pain or fear or anxiety is going to be a tough road. So to acknowledge that we're not minimizing the 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 hard parts of this or the pain that's involved, but there are some basic things we can do, like to the best of our ability, get mm-hmm. the rest we can right. to the best of our ability. Eat some nourishing food for your body, and then let's start there on where, where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, something from this section that stood out to me is when, in reading it prior to today, I had just written down the question: How does this passage reveal God's character? Like, what? How does this passage reveal God's character to me? What is? Um, and so when I read this section made me think about something that Kyle said a couple of weeks ago, that God meets us where we are, not where we think we should be. And we see that in this passage, that he's exhausted and and ashamed and afraid and laying down, and the angel of the Lord meets him there, right? And to your point, Angie, like provides him nourishment, cares for him, in that moment, um, that that's that's what that's what stood out to me. Yeah, and just asking the question, "What are you doing here?" In other words, who who are you? Like this is this is not who you are. Mm-hmm. This is not who you are when you live by faith. And and this this person right here being controlled by fear, this is out of character. You know, this is not who I made you to be. So so like when we recognize that in people, like. 
you know, lovingly asking them the question, like, what are you, what are you doing in this state of mind? So this is so cool to me, Tyler. You love this line that science has called up to scripture. Yes, yeah, I do. One. So in my background in education, um, I've le- a little bit of uh, on brain science. When we're in the fight or flight in our brain, I, I'm, I know enough about this to be dangerous. Let me be clear. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, not an expert at you all. You should wear a lab, a lab coat. Not an expert at <laughs> all. science. Um, but so like when our, when our brains are in fight or flight, so when, when dealing with a child in the education world who is um, having a hard, like having a hard time and their brain is in fight or flight. One of the things that like the, the professionals or experts will tell you to do is you have to switch the, like the brain space that they're operating from. And one way you get kids who are operating from a brain space that is constantly in fight or flight, if there's trauma involved is by asking them a question because they have to pause and stop and to think. And so it's so interesting to me. I had not thought about that till he just read it out that like he, Elijah literally is in fight or flight. He is traumatized and scared to death and has taken off. And God begins to shift his perspective and switch his mindset with a question. Mm-hmm. And our, our brains have to leave that state right. to begin to process and answer that question. I don't know, it's really just kind of a yeah, cool side note in here. That's good. Ben, would you then read verse 10 and 11? And if we have time, we'll continue reading. But let's read those two verses. We'll talk about it. Then we may have to paraphrase the rest. Yep. He replied, I have been very zealous for uh, for the Lord God Almighty. So this is Elijah. Elijah's answering that question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. I am the only one left. Nobody else. Just me. What's what's the what's the problem with that right there? Well, I I mean, have you guys ever I want have you ever uttered that phrase? Like Did, have you ever yeah. had that thought? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Didn't he just leave his servant? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but I but I going back to Angie's point, like I think that's one of the outcomes of isolation. Right. Yeah. Right. Is because um, we're looking around for people, and it's like, there's no one around. You can believe I am the only one. I'm the only that's person. going through this, yeah. or I'm the only one that feels this way. No one cares. Yeah. That's an important line. Yeah. And don't we see toward the end of this chapter where God tells him, I have reserved 7,000 people in Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, think. Yeah. There's 7,000 other people that are following me. I think, too, like, that's pretty common whenever you, even, like, going to church on Sunday or if you go to an event or a conference or something, it's a lot easier to feel those things in the moment when everybody in the room is there for the same reason as you are. And you can, you know, like Elijah, you have these high of highs with your time with God. But it is in those moments when you go back home and you're alone yeah, that you tend to believe those lies of, it's just me. I'm trucking it out by myself. And it also reminds me of the power of our stories, right? And sharing our stories yeah. and recognizing the stories of our scars and how God uses them. Because our our stories, sometimes 
I have to borrow some courage from you and your story mm-hmm. to be reminded and encouraged by that I'm not yeah. the only one going through this. Or you, you've yeah, already good. gone through this, and you've seen how God's been faithful. And so I'm, you, your story reminds me of that, right? right? Um, God telling him to go and stand on the um, stand on the mountain in the in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. We've referenced Mark Batterson a couple times in his in his books, really good reads. But he's got a little formula on perspective and how to change your perspective. And he says that change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. Um, and so it's interesting. We see that here, like God's changing his, his place. He's changed his pace. And he's like, hey, I'm about to change your perspective on this like because that. my presence is about to pass by. Yeah, that's good. Very mm-hmm. practical. Yeah. Easy mm-hmm. to remember. Probably need to write that down. <laughs> so following that, we see that uh, there's an earthquake, there's there's rushing winds, there's a fire, um, and some other things, but God was not in those. And it says that God came and spoke to Elijah through a still, small voice, through a whisper. And... Uh, my friend Josh Webb, who is doing a great work up in Tennessee now through a ministry up there, he used to always ask the question when teaching on this passage, why, why could Elijah hear God whisper, or how could he? And his answer was, because God was close. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's the only time you can hear somebody whisper, is if they're close to you. And to know that through whatever we're going through, in isolation, in doubt, being controlled by fear, there's got to be some hope in reminding ourselves that God is close. I think my natural tendency would be to choose one of these other ways. If you had to say, hey, how do you think God revealed himself Mm. to Elijah? It would be one of these bigger uh yeah wind fire earthquake yeah like one of these bigger um what's the word i'm looking for like more spectacular ways mm-hmm. right but it's just a small whisper right. um so that's a, a powerful passage as well i know we probably don't have time to finish the chapter but i do think like we'd like to encourage everybody to finish reading it on your own because you do see throughout the rest of the chapter, how God gives him purpose again. Yeah. And I think we can't discount that, the importance of it. Like whenever you do feel depressed or or anxious or you're just in a bad place mentally, there's nothing like God renewing your purpose and giving you like a reason and, and, and meaning to what you're doing with life, with your life, and to realize that he's designed you for a purpose. But um, I don't know, whenever you can shift from thinking about how you feel to focusing on helping someone else, there's just so much that happens right. within that. Yeah. I, this semester, one of the things that we've tasked all our house churches with is to look around and identify, I mean, what are the needs around you? See a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. What are what are the needs around you in in your neighborhood, on your street? Where are you connected through people in your house church to needs that are around you and among you? 
Um, and then just simply stepping in and, and meeting those needs together in that context of biblical community um, of house church. Yeah. And, you know, practically speaking, it's like, well, how does me serving someone else make me feel better? Well, it's the paradox of the kingdom. You know, the, Jesus says the first will be last, the last will be first. If we put ourselves first, we're coming to last. If we put ourselves last then we and we put other people first, then we are going to see God do a work in our hearts and in our lives. And we see that right here in this chapter. Ben, Angie, y'all got any concluding thoughts? No, I would just echo what Angie said, encouragement of um, when we didn't get to go through this whole this whole chapter, but just encourage you to, to begin to read it for yourself and um, excited about what, what comes of it in, in house church. Well, with that, guys, we will catch you next time. Peace. Unschooled and Ordinary is an original podcast from Venture Church. While this podcast is great for individual study, the word really comes alive when we talk about it and apply it to our lives in house church. House churches are small groups of believers gathered in homes for a meal, scripture study, discipleship, and prayer in a trusted community of faith. They meet on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. in homes throughout South Mississippi, and you can join anytime. To find a house church near you, visit venturechurch.org slash housechurch.